0: Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We are a movement of men pursuing faith, character, personal growth, and meaningful friendships. If you'd like to learn more about us and our mission to rebuild the American family one man at a time, please visit us at heartofaman.org. We hope you enjoy this lesson from our series called Genesis, Why Is It This Way? So one of, the, uh, one of the headings, my brother's our marketing guy, one of the, the headings, subheadings for our study of Genesis this year uh, was fathers and sons. And so as a young father and as a son myself, since my first child was born, God has been changing my perspective on my parents, allowing me to see differently their impact on me and how I ought to be relating to and valuing them. So my hope for tonight first is for the fathers and the grandfathers in the room. I hope tonight's lecture focused on Genesis 28 will give you hope and inspiration, recognizing that your role is vitally important and must be taken seriously and and this, this is really the key for tonight, that God can and will Work through your failures to draw your children to him, to draw your children, his children, to him. And then this is the other focus for the sons in the room, which is all of us, by the way. Uh, I, hope, I hope that each of us will walk away with a greater appreciation for our parents, as broken as they are, understanding that even the worst things that they pass down to us God will use to draw us, his children, to him, he will. So let's pray together and then let's jump in. Holy Father, (laughs) you are our Father, you are not broken. You don't pass down broken things to us, but the reality is we break a lot and we have a lot of broken and yet in that, Lord, you chose, you said in your word, The only way you're going to work is through these broken people. And why? I don't know. But you are. So please work through these broken men here, Lord, and the things that we've broken, Lord, fix. Help us to leave here better and more uh, believing in you and what you'll do. In Jesus' name, amen. The first section of this text is verses 1 through 5. And it's Isaac's command and his blessing to Jacob. The key principle is that God uses broken parents to lead his children towards his will. As the leaders of Heart of a Man, we've spent thousands of hours walking with men and listening to them and going through the trials of life and faith along with them. And two of the big questions that we consistently work on are these. How as a father do I lead my kids towards Christ in the midst of my failures and flaws? And how do I recover from the broken things that my father or my parents passed down to me? What I believe God is showing us tonight in this first section of this text is how he uses both the good and the broken in parents to lead his children to him and to his will. In chapter 25, God spoke to Rebecca and made clear to her that his will— was for Jacob, the younger brother, to be the leader and lineage carrier for their family. That was his plan. But what unfolds between that chapter and chapter 28, where we are today, is the decaying of a family culture led by a father who has chosen to ignore God's will. And yet, what happens? God uses what is broken to move Rebekah, Isaac, and Jacob down the path that he had originally intended. And that path is one of humbling Jacob, God showing himself to him, and by way of this path, providing a wife and offspring through which God's promise of blessing to the world would be fulfilled. Now, how specifically does, does God take the broken and use it for the good? Here's some examples from this text. The first brokenness that we see is that God uses the damage caused by a scheming mother. Rather than praying to God and asking him to get Isaac back on track as their leader, Rebecca takes it upon herself to manipulate the situation. And when the whole plan goes south, rather than owning it and taking the fury upon herself like she said she would do, and then she also doesn't work to bring resolution between her sons. So not all that's going on. And then she, in, she instructs Jacob to run away to her brother's house until things die down. Jacob finding a wife from Rebecca's family was God's will. That was his will. And God still used Rebecca's scheming and her response to its results to move the conversation in the way that he wanted it to go. He used the broken for his purpose. The second piece of brokenness that God uses is Rebecca and Isaac's failure to set clear expectations on who Esau should marry. This decision to send uh, Jacob to Laban's is a reaction to the trial and error us young parents do a lot of that. These are their their boys. And the firstborn, even though he's only a couple hours ahead, usually catches the brunt of the trial and error. And he did. And so that gets played out on Esau. And what we can infer from this text is based on Esau's choices, his spousal choices, and his surprise at his parents' dismay, that he he wasn't aware of their desire for him to marry someone from their family. And so the result of this poor leadership from Isaac is Esau marrying two women who, as the text says, made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. So in this case, this failure... What happens is it wakes up these parents and leads them to be notably more engaged in the spousal arrangements for Jacob. They see what's gone wrong and they realize we gotta gotta do something different here. Setting clear expectations that he needs to marry the type of woman who would be good for their family and right for God's purposes. The third piece of brokenness that God uses is Isaac's failed attempt to give God's blessing to Esau rather than to Jacob. Following being tricked into giving Jacob the blessing, we see this exchange between Isaac and Esau. Genesis 27, his father Isaac said to him, "'Who are you?' And he answered, "'I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau.' Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, "'Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? "'And I ate it all before you came, "'and I have blessed him, yes.'" and he shall be blessed. Guys, I I firmly believe in this moment, Isaac trembles violently because he finally realized the treachery of what he had been trying to accomplish. All this time, he'd been fighting God's will, trying to make Esau the chosen son. And through this horrible, painful moment, he finally concedes and doubles down on giving the blessing to Jacob as God had originally intended. God used Isaac's own failure to get him back on track and to get Jacob moving again towards God's will. So the question is, what's this look like in our lives? I don't know what it looks like for you guys, but I've got a lot of examples. And one of them uh, happened about a year ago And I remember it very clearly. My wife was hosting a Mom's Connection event in our house. There's about 40 women downstairs. And um, I'm caring for my daughters. We've probably, you know, we definitely played too long. It's past bedtime and we're just now starting baths. We haven't eaten enough. So everybody's tired and crabby. And I'm trying to give them baths. And as they're in the water, in a chorus of crying, they unleash their loudest wails. I want mommy! I want mommy. I'm just like whew, Okay. Alright. <clears throat> Deep breath. And I'm trying to calm them down and nothing's working. And what am I thinking about? I'm thinking about these forty women downstairs who are thinking, Mr. Incompetent, can't even can't even bathe them and get him in bed. And so That's what's going on in my head, and I'm feeling my blood start to boil, and I snapped. I yelled at my daughters, and I took the water cup, and I slammed it into the tub, and it got everything under control. They calmed right down. (laughs) No, not at all, no. My daughters were horrified. I can still picture them. They were shaking and they were crying more and now adding to this terrible situation, they're, now I'm thinking, great. Now my kids are afraid of me. This is exactly what I wanted to happen. This is how I wanted to spend my night with my two daughters. Great. Fantastic. And so the question is, how did God use my embarrassing failure to lead my kids to Him? By His grace, the Lord helped me first start by apologizing and just telling him I'm sorry and hugging him and telling him, Daddy shouldn't have done that. I felt, ho- I felt horrible. But this is where I really saw God, you guys. This is so cool. <laughs> Through the incredible wise questions of a three-year-old, I had the opportunity to explain to my daughters, this is why we need the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. Because without His Spirit, we're broken. And we're unable to be gentle and kind and patient. But when his Holy Spirit lives in us, and when we let him work, and when we listen, and I wasn't listening, he gives us the strength we need to not yell and not throw things, and to be gentle and kind and patient. And for months after that, my older daughter would remind me, we need Jesus to help us not yell. Right, Daddy? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, man, I needed that. Yes, you're so right. She was so right, man. And so, man, so dad's in the room. Like Isaac, like me, when you're following God and even when you're not, be encouraged. God will use your good and your failures to lead your children, his children, to him. Now, speaking to all of us as the children of broken parents one of the joys of being a leader in Heart of Man is getting to hear the stories of men in which God took their inherited brokenness and reclaimed it to lead them to him. And when I was writing this, as, as soon as I started thinking about this message, the person who popped into my head was my co-leader, Mitch. Mitch had a dad who was a large, scary man who mistreated him and abandoned he and his family, both physically and emotionally. And this left a gap for Mitch, having no example of what a godly man looks like, nor having the love and affirmation that a young man really needs. This hole and this brokenness led Mitch for his entire young life on a hunt for approval, affirmation, and connection, sending him to many unhealthy sources and leading him to lots of poor choices. But in in living in that brokenness, that very search to fill the holes in his heart, that is the one that God used to draw Mitch to him. That's the one. That is what drew Mitch to Jesus. Paul says in Romans eight twenty eight, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Mitch had a calling on his life and God used it God used those things for his good. As parents and as children, God wants us to see in the brokenness which we have created and which we have inherited. God will work in and through the broken to lead his children, our children, us, to him. So, for the fathers in the room, what brokenness? Do you see yourself passing along to your children? And what is your response? Is your response, is it to give up? Is your response to grit your teeth and to work harder and to press more and to be more disciplined? Or is your response to say, God, I'm breaking a lot of stuff. And I'm broken. And I need your help to stop breaking so much. And for all the things I can't stop breaking, God, please, oh please, use it. What's your response when you see the things that you're breaking? And then for all of us, how is God using the brokenness of your father or your parents to bring yourself to him? And if you don't know, guys, I really want to challenge you. Ask God to show you. You need it. You need to see that parents, there's so many young men we work with and the things that happen with their parents are horrible, heinous, but on the backside of that, you guys, are so many stories of those disgusting, filthy things being the ones who've driven those men to find the Lord and to find this, and to find a place where there's people who will stand in the gap where those parents fell short. And so if you don't see that in the brokenness that your parents give you have given you, I pray you would ask God to help you see it so you could maybe forgive your parents and say, they broke a lot, but God's using it for good. God's using it for good. The second section of this text is Esau's response And the key principle is that seeking the approval of our earthly parents often leads us to make poor choices. And we see multiple examples here in this story through this family. There's a handful of examples, it's great. So the first thing we see is Genesis 25, Esau's out hunting. He's doing the thing that his dad loved and he sells his birthright for a meal. Because he's not thinking about what truly would be best for him. His short-term view of what was important led him to a very foolish and impulsive choice. Caring more about his dad's approval and building his life around that rather than choosing to do what is right and prudent. There's one example. Another example is Jacob. Jacob, rather than telling his mom, no, and refusing to deceive his father, opts to keep his place as mom's favorite while also serving his own interests. This leads Jacob to make an unethical and wrong decision which blows up their family and decimates his relationship with his brother, pleasing his mom over preserving his family. And in Genesis 28, what we're in today, it says this, when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father. Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he already had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael. Esau crystallizes this picture. When we set our sights on pleasing others, it is a target that leads us to places that we don't want to go. The people we're trying to please are broken and often want things that are not good for us. To please others means that we have to make assumptions about what they want. And you guys know the old adage, when you assume, it makes a fool out of you and me. Yeah, you got it. (laughs) And when we seek to please others, the fact of the matter is, We're not seeking to place God. Jesus said it. He's talking about money, but it holds true here. You cannot serve two masters. If you're thinking about this one, you're not serving this one. You can't please people and please God at the same time. It just doesn't work. The Bible is very clear. The only person worth seeking to please is God himself, which leads me to an important practical question, which is worth exploring. How do I please God and what is the relationship between God's love, God's blessing, and God being pleased? The first is God's love. When it comes to my children, I, I just love them, period. I love my kids. I chose to create them. They bear my image and I just love them. There's nothing, there's literally nothing my kids can do to make me not love them. In fact, the more they push away, the more they make mistakes, the more my love springs into action towards them. And that is God's love for all people, followers of him or not. He created all of us, every one of us, and he loves us, period. That's God's love. What about God being pleased? What's the connection? If my kids are choosing to live wild lifestyles, chasing things that are bad for them, bad for our family, and will ultimately destroy them, the reality is I'm not pleased with my kids. I'm not. I, I do not like what they're doing, and I would not say this is my son or daughter with whom I'm well pleased. But on the positive side, Colossians 3 says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. In 1 John, he says, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And then in Hebrews 11, it says this, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So how do we make God happy? How do we please God? The scripture tells us by placing our faith in him, believing in him, and living according to his word. The last part of this is God's blessing. God, our father, loves us unconditionally, regardless of whether we follow him or fight him. We need to remember that. But to inherit God's blessings requires faith alone in Jesus alone. Galatians 3 says, Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. God's love is for all men. God's blessing goes to those who have faith in Jesus Christ and God is pleased with us when we place our faith in him and we live in accordance with his word. This story of Esau is meant to show us the sad effects of a life lived to please others and to lead us to ask the question, who then, if anyone, should I seek to please I love this verse in Proverbs sixteen seven. I'm I'm naturally a people pleaser, you guys. It's I've always been that way. My mom's that way. I learned it from her. My dad's not that way at all. And <laughs> and <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, and and so when I read this verse, man, this is freeing for me. This is so cool. Proverbs sixteen seven. When a man's ways please the Lord. He makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. I love that. So the question is, you guys wrestled with this question tonight already, and I'm adding on to it. The first part you've hopefully got an answer to, whose approval have you spent the most time or energy seeking? Who is that? Here's the follow-up question. And how do you think that relationship would change if you turned your heart from pleasing them to pleasing God. So in that moment when you're like, ah, I'm about to try to please such and such, you stop and go, all right, God, how do I please you right now? How do I please you? How do I serve them by pleasing you? What do you want? Think about how that relationship will change when your heart goes from pleasing them to pleasing God. All right, so some of you, a few of you might be thinking, you're like, wait, don't please my parents? Like, don't worry about my parents. Don't, I don't have to listen to what they have to say. Like, I don't got to worry about that. Is that what you're saying? Good question. Stick with me. Uh, let's get to the next part. So the next section is Jacob's dream. It's verses 10 through 17. And the key principle is that God blesses those who honor their father and their mother. Uh, in, in the midst of, of my years within the church, I've, I've noticed a tendency of many Christians to downplay God's promises, which are connected to blessings. Here's a few example of these promises. Malachi 3.10 says, bring, this is God talking, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test. Thank you. Thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And then in James 1, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given. And then he says this, but let him ask in faith with no doubting for that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. Guys, when I read these promises, what stands out to me is that man did not set the terms. God set the terms. And so when I read these verses in Malachi, he says, God says, if you bring the full tithe to me, if you pour your resources into my hands, what's going to happen? I will shower my blessing upon you until you have no need. He set the terms. And in James, he says, if you lack wisdom, have faith and ask, and I'll give it to you, period. Guys, while we need to be very intentional not to be teaching a health and wealth gospel, which leads people to believe that God is their holy ATM, that is not we're about on the flip side we got to be careful not to rob god of the blessings that he's promised to those who obey his commandments and who are faithful to him he's incentivizing us to do what he wants us to do and so that brings us to our text today when jacob left home what was he doing his family was at a crossroads his brother is very angry and wants to kill him, and his parents are realizing if we don't if we don't help Jacob get married and, and find a good woman, we're going to be inhibiting the promises which God gave to Abraham and to us. And so, with that brewing in the background, Jacob willingly obeys the wise counsel of his father and immediately leaves for Padan Aram. In Ephesians six, Paul says, "Children, obey your parents in the Lord." for this is right. And then he says this, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And what do we see happen to Jacob? Jacob honored his father and mother, obeying their commands. And what does God do? God comes to him in a dream and shows him who he is, how he works, and promises to bless him and to be his God I will bless you and you will live long in the land I'm giving you. So circling back, are we to just ignore our parents? Are we to not be concerned about what they think? No, far from it. Our calling as men of God is to love God and to live to please him. And in doing that, one of the commands God gives is to honor our father and mother. And he says, when you do this, it will go well with you and you will live long in the land that God has given you. What needs to change in your heart towards your parents, your grandparents, or your in-laws to move from seeking to please them or not caring about them at all to honoring them? We are to please God and honor our parents. The final section of this text is verses 18 through 22, and it's Jacob's vow. And the key principle is that our example as fathers and grandfathers impacts our children. When I was in high school, I really wanted to get into auto racing. I was a little late to the game, but we had a fast car, and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna be a race car driver. I'm gonna do it. And so my dad fed right into that desire and and took me to O'Neill Rally School in uh, New Hampshire Um, This is the premier school in the US for teaching people how to race rally cars. If you don't know what that is, uh, it's driving cars as fast as you possibly can down gravel or dirt roads, typically through trees or bricks or places where if you miss, you basically die. (laughs) This is a good bonding experience. And so so with that in mind, the one thing that they consistently said was, what you look at is where you'll go. And so they'd be, you're driving, and they're here watching you, and they're watching your eyes, and they're saying, stop looking at the trees. Stop looking at the trees. When you look at the trees, you're going to end up in the trees. And so instead, they'd say, look ahead. Look ahead. Keep looking ahead. Where your eyes are focused is where you will naturally go. And this is what I see in Jacob after God speaks to him in this dream. Jacob could have done a hundred different things in response to God, but he chose to stack some stones, pour some oil on it, and commit his future and 10% of his wealth to God. Why? Why would he do that? We read this in Genesis 14. Abraham's coming back from saving his nephew Lot. He's just conquered an army and he's afraid And he gives a 10% tithe to God. So we can't forget, that's Abraham. Jacob was with Abraham for 15 years before old Abe died. And if you recall, as much as what we see from Isaac not following the Lord, one thing we know about Isaac is that he was very aware of the importance of building an altar and making a commitment to God Getting tied up and placed on a pile of wood and rocks and having almost gotten your, slit th- uh, your, your throat slit by your dad kind of leaves an impression that I imagine is hard to forget. As parents, we all know and hope, we know there will be a point when God shows himself to our children and they must decide how will I respond to God? And in this case, Jacob followed the example of his grandfather and maybe his father, humbling himself before the Lord and committing himself to God's plan. So, fathers and grandfathers, when your kids encounter God, how will your example help them know how to respond? And then to all of us, who are the examples? Which you are fixing your eyes upon. Will they lead you into the trees or will they teach you how to follow God? In conclusion and in summary, what should we take away from this text? If you're taking notes, here's the four. Number one is be hopeful, knowing that God has the power to use our good and repurpose our failures to lead our children down his path and knowing that even our hardest and most painful experiences as the children of our parents, God will use for his glory and for our good. He will, he will. Number two is please God. Chasing the approval of our parents or anyone else will lead us most likely to bad places. We're God's children. He loves us no matter what. And if we want to make him happy, if you want to please God, you do that by placing your faith in him and doing what he teaches in his word. Number three is honor your father and mother. Ask yourself, why am I doing this? Am I doing it to make my parents happy or to really tick them off? Or am I doing it because I know it will make God happy? And remember, he says, you're gonna be blessed when you do this. And finally, set and seek godly examples. The better model we provide, the better chance our kids will have at responding to God as we hope they would. And remember, where we look is where we will go. And if you need a good example, start by looking around right here. There's a lot of good examples here. Let's pray together. Holy Father, thank you for this. My prayer, Lord, is that each of us would, you just give us one thing, Lord. Let every guy in here take away one. Put it deep in our hearts. I pray that a month from now we'd be like, man, I don't know, I don't even remember where I learned that but this thing, it's changed my marriage, it's changed my relationship with my parents, it's changed the way I look at myself, and I'm just different. And so, Lord, let it be. Help us, Lord, we need your help. Be with us in our brokenness, in Jesus' name, amen.